All right. Here we go. Quiet. Roll up. Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put them all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me, standing at a whopping five foot seven, is <laughs> the great Rich Drees. I, I lost it after that. I'm sorry. <laughs> you were going for a Space Jam basketball kind of so. opener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I and didn't even realize I was. The, and seated across the microphone from me, uh, showing us why sometimes improv should be thought out ahead of time, <laughs> is Film Buff Online contributing editor Natasha Bogutsky. <laughs> How's it going, Natasha? I'm going to drink. Oh, <laughs> great morning already. Um, it's just water. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, I guess, first of all, uh, throw this out here really fast. Um, we apologize. We were going to have another episode before we took a short break where we reviewed In the Heights. We're going to talk about In the Heights a little bit in just a few minutes. But the reason we were taking a break was because we were shooting a short film. And pre-production kind of got ahead of us. So we couldn't have time to do that full episode review of In the Heights. But I'm really glad we had all that pre-production because I think our shoot went super smoothly. Probably the best out of all the ones that we've done so far. It really did. It was scary just how much we got this down to a T. Yeah. And that's not saying anything negative about the other people we worked with who have all been wonderful and... Oh, I'd work with almost every one of them again, but... I think it's just our experiences yes. and how we've gotten better at it. Yes, exactly. Um, so, yeah. So, in a few minutes, we'll probably touch a little bit on uh, In the Heights, but... I hang my flag upon this place. <laughs> in the Heights. Yeah, but we both liked it, I think. Spoiler. Oh, yeah. Uh, but first off, I guess we should say welcome to our big, the Big Picture Podcast Summer Spectacular Gab Fest episode. Gab Fest? And yes. what's go what is so special about this Gab Fest, Rich? Uh, there's going to be really not much of a form to it because what we're trying to do is just as a test for ourselves, see how well we can do without doing any kind of post-production editing to this podcast outside of adding the music at the beginning and the end. What he is saying with more words than he probably should is that this is a test to see if we could do live or if we could do a video podcast. So um, just bear with us. There may be some pauses here and there. Who knows? <laughs> but if there is, just keep listening. I swear we'll start talking again. Very true. Yeah, it's rich. After all, he likes he likes to hear the sound of his own voice. Wow, <laughs> I have so many outtakes that I could be playing, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, the <laughs> Yes, us quoting you quoting a variety of lines from Karen Gillan's "The Party's uh, Just Beginning." Uh -huh. uh, your Michael Jackson hee-hee impersonations, which have now become my ringtone for you on my phone. Oh, God. Well. <laughs> See, that's what happens when you think I'm not recording and you leave me alone with all the raw audio. Damn. 
But anyways. Don't forget, I still have the king of ringtones that pisses people off. Nah, we're not going there. <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> Moving along. Um, In the Heights, yes. the adaptation of the Lin-Manuel Miranda musical, which we both really enjoyed. Yes, we I, did. Uh, I wrote about it at Film Buff Online. You can find my review there. Uh, but basically, I really enjoyed how it was a celebration of community and a celebration of one's roots and also a celebration of the idea that you don't have to stay in your community. You can, and that's good. That's for you. But if you go out into the larger world to establish yourself somewhere else, that's also fine and acceptable and good, too, because you have that bond to your community and that hopefully cannot you be broken. You have a home to come back yes. to that will always welcome you with open arms. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, I thought that kind of a message was very empowering, especially if you grew up in like a New York ethnic community where everybody's like, hey, we all live within the same five block region and barely go beyond that. I mean, honestly, where we are in the Wilkesbury Scranton area, mm -hmm. it's very insular too. Oh, very I much mean, so. I was shocked as a teenager when my family moved into this area and people were like, oh, are you going to, when, when I had to go back to um, Harrisburg, two hours away, for my eye doctor's appointment, because I had a really good eye doctor, Dr. Braverman. And they were like, oh, are you going to stay overnight? I'm like, it's a two-hour drive. You go down, you get your eye appointment done, your mom talks with uh, the doctor's wife, because the office was kind of like adjacent to the home, and then you go somewhere for lunch and you drive back. So it was very unusual to me that people were like, oh, you know, oh, I could never drive all this way. We were living, you know, South of Scranton for like about 20 minutes south of Scranton. And um, if you know the area, a town called Mountaintop, which is kind of like a Wilkesbury suburb. And people from Mountaintop are like, oh, you're going to Scranton? Is it going to be an all-day trip? It's like, no, nah, we got to go up for you know one thing. It's 20, 25-minute drive, and you turn around, you come back. It's no big deal. It it shocked me at that kind of insularness. It was the same for me growing up that – this is not a generational thing in this area. No. It is It is literally almost everyone. Um, I feel like people are starting to break out of it now. Uh, but like the older generation is still very much... My mm -hmm. mom thought going to Scranton or Dixon City, which is literally a 20-minute drive on the highway, um, was an all-day trip. And if I was going to somewhere like... Philly or New York, it had to be at least three days. Like, <laughs> what? You, we live two and a half hours from New York and two hours from Philly. Why are you acting like this is like the, the biggest deal in the world? I could go there and back in like it's a five hour round trip drive exactly. to New York City. Come on. It in my 20s, I would walk out of work some nights at 5 o'clock, and people are like, hey, what are you doing tonight, Rich? I go, uh, me and some friends are going in, into the city to see a band. And they were like, oh, Wilkes-Barre? I was like, no, Manhattan. And they're like, what? <laughs> I don't believe you. You're full of crap. And, you know, I was doing a lot of writing about um, rock music and stuff at the time yeah. for some local outlets. So we, me and my friends would get in the car, drive into the city, park, go see a band at CB's or Under Acme or uh, the Wetlands or some of these great clubs, you know, and leave around midnight, be back home by 
two-ish. You know, I could, you know, survive on five hours sleep, get up at seven and be in work at eight. Well, even when... Uh... And, and people were like, what, so what'd you do last night? They're like, ah, oh, we went into the city. They're like, no, you didn't. And then I have to show them, like, the receipt from the Holland Tunnel. Yeah. You know, from when we had to pay to go through the Holland Tunnel or something like that. Like, oh, really? And they're like, huh? It, it just blew their mind. I'm like, I know. That's your fault if you want to be cemented in this place and you don't want – I mean, it's fine if you do. But don't be surprised that other people want to go out and do more. Yeah, and it's it's the same like when we were doing critic screenings before the pandemic. Um, we get out of work right at 5 o'clock. I met up with you at a Wegmans parking lot. Let's hop in my car. We Zoom. drive down to Philadelphia Go see a movie, grab a bite to eat, and we're back in the car, what, between 10 and midnight, depending on whether or not we're getting a bite to eat. Mm -hmm. And I'm in bed by 2, 2.30. And then I'm back up and at work the next morning. Like, And everyone's yeah. like, so what did you do last night? Oh, I just drove to Philly to watch a movie and grab a bite to eat and came back. The you I went to Philly to watch a movie? Yeah. The idea that I would drive to New, to New York, say on a Saturday to go to the film forum, for example, to see like this, you know, film noir double feature or something like that. Or, Breaking my heart. I know. I want to be there so much this weekend because of that Bogart retrospective that I they know. started. Um, and I am going to be in the city <laughs> this weekend and I can't. This coming weekend, yeah. Yeah, and I can't. Urgh. I know. See, that's why I, I was like. It hurts. I know you and uh, we're going to tangent here for a moment. I know you and your two friends are going in. You're going to do some uh, modeling shooting. Yes. Which sounds exciting. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing those pictures because the photographer is fantastic, Ariel. I really like her stuff, especially what she's done with you and some of the other uh, models. It's really good stuff. And it's a Cruella shoot. And, but it's also, you guys are then going to go out, grab a bite to eat and everything. The three of you at La Derie. And... <laughs> you're just upset you're not there. Yes. I, I, I understand it's all, you know, a girl's day in New York, in the city. Uh, however, I'm like... Can I just ride along and I'll just go to the film forum and watch Bogart movies and meet you up when it's time to go home? But you would be mad at me for that, I think. You'd be like, Err. Well, why don't you still just go into the city and go to the film forum I that might. day? I might. I might. You just don't. Know. Just I, I just won't bother me... you. Yeah. I won't bother you guys. If if I, It's a big city. I don't know if you knew that or not. No, I mean, you're still going to have to take a separate car, but you yeah, can come yeah, in yeah, with yeah, us. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean. But, um, no, I would say, yeah, come. Go. Just don't tell me I, what you went and saw. <laughs> Actually, I do have other plans for Saturday that I've already started to put together. Oh, okay. But but I would drive into Manhattan to go to Film Forum uh, to see like a double feature of something. And then just, yeah, uh, well, I'm, while I'm here, I might as well go over to uh, the landmark Sunshine on, you know, on the other side of Houston when that still existed. And see, you know, some indie film that I know is never going to play in our area. And then I drive home and people are like, well, what you do on Saturday? I was like. I drove to New York, saw a couple of movies, and and I don't know what was weirder, that I drove to New York to see some movies, or two, that I saw some movies by myself. I went alone to the movies. What? I know. Shocking. Ugh. What kind of social monster am I? Rawr. <laughs> It's it, it that's that's the other thing that really bugs me about people. They're like, I need people to with me to go to the movies. No, you go to the movies. You sit there. You have a nice, quiet, but still communal experience because you're still responding emotionally to the film with other people. Mm -hmm. 
And I don't know if they're afraid to do that in front of strangers who they'll never see again and probably wouldn't be able to recognize because you're all sitting in the dark. I don't know. And this is you had a communal experience this past weekend when you saw a rear window at uh yeah uh, at a local film okay. house of ours. I, I, I say film house and not movie theater because it's it's a community arts theater yeah. that does stage and concerts as well as film. Yeah, I I will admit I did bump into somebody I went to high school with who wound up sitting right right behind me, so we had a nice chat before the movie started. But, I mean, we didn't make plans to be there. She was there with her fiancé and her uncle, and it was really nice uh, to meet them. But, you know, we sat. Everybody, I don't know, about 150, 200 people saw Rear Window on a huge screen. And right there at the end, as I was telling you, uh, off mic uh, the day after, so yesterday, um, there's that moment where you're looking down on the action and... Hitchcock does something and everybody gasped and it really worked. It still played really well. And that was exciting to me that I was like, Ooh, <laughs> that, even that, after that, almost 60 years. Yeah. That... And I'm sure a good portion of that audience had probably seen that movie at least once before I hadn't, it was a blind spot for me on Hitchcock. So I was really glad to have seen it that way uh, for my first time. That was good. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, it was. Um, Okay, but we are really straying. Let's circle back here to In the Heights. Um, I really liked it. And then it did not well at the box office, which is upsetting. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I uh, I heard and I had that conversation on another podcast. Um, I'm not going into that here. Yeah, no, 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 no. Well, I will just say let's check throw... out Loud and Nerdy. <laughs> yeah, from last week. From last what, Wednesday? Yeah, from uh, the Black Widow podcast episode yeah. yeah um i disagree with uh the host there jw about whether th- this means theaters are doomed because of in the heights being day and date with um with the theatrical and premiering on hbo max i don't think i don't think films on hbo max are going to do as well box office wise um, than the Disney ones are going to do. And the reasoning for that is it's $15 for a subscription. It is not extra money that you have to hash out. I don't care how many times I get into this fight with people. I will always <laughs> say Disney Plus will do better because you're paying for your subscription. But those particular movies are extra. You have to pay $30 extra for those. Yeah, on Disney Plus. Yeah, whereas uh, which HBO is, Max, it's it's we, free. Yeah, as long as you have the just plain subscription, you sit down, you open mm-hmm. it up. Oh, Space Jam: New Legacy dropped today. Okay, watching that. Mm-hmm. And that would be a bad mistake. But uh, <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get into our thoughts on Space Jam: A New Legacy <laughs> tarnished in uh, just a few minutes. I should have had um, you watch the first one again. Uh, I didn't have time yesterday. <laughs> But I, I agree with you there. And it's interesting, though, you know, everybody's suddenly pointing to Black Widow, saying, oh, Black Widow did $80 million, though, in theaters opening weekend, plus it did 60 on Disney+. Plus. And I'm like, this is the first time Disney has released any of their uh, subscription box office, whatever you want to call it, figures on on one of those premium access films. 
They didn't do it for Cruella. They didn't do it for Milan. Both those films kind of underperformed at the theater as well, which makes me think they probably underperformed as premium exclusives on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Would you would you agree? Because if they had done 60, 70 million... They would have screamed it from the rooftops. Exactly. So I don't think that we can point to any one of these things as the definitive answer as to whether box office uh, or whether theaters are doomed because of day and date streaming. I think it's still going to be very highly title dependent Mm -hmm. on how each one is going to do. Just the way it is, very dependent on how each movie does if it's only being released theatrically. So it's, it's a shift in the paradigm. I don't think it's a world-ending shift in the paradigm. No, I don't either. No. And if JW is listening, first of all, hello. Thank Hi. you. Um, I know you're probably not agreeing with me, and I'm sure we're going to continue this conversation. Off mic. Uh, off mic or on your show soon or here soon or somewhere in some venue. And the thing was, he tried to get me to admit he was right. <laughs> and I'm like... No, I can't. I don't agree. I was listening. I was supposed to be working on a um, a freelance writing assignment, and I was under the gun for my uh, my deadline. My deadline was the next morning, I think. And I'm listening to this, and he's trying to he's trying to get you to admit that you were wrong. And I'm just sitting there typing away, shaking my head, going, "That is such a fool's errand. You will never, ever get done." <laughs> And never, ever, ever get Natasha to admit she is wrong about something. No, and I didn't. <laughs> so I, I said to him, I go, I'll go half with you on this one. I I think it's definitely changed some things. I don't think it's changed everything. That is true, though. Um, but... <laughs> Okay, so I, we've got a lot to get through in this yeah, episode. Okay, so. okay. Well, what what's the next topic you wanted to hit? Then? Space Jam. Space Jam. Okay, <laughs> let's get this out. Okay, Space Jam was my 88th movie that was new to me that I saw this year, and that's the best thing I can say about it. Oh <laughs> snap! <laughs> Shit! <laughs> 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 I just don't think it was any good. It wasn't. Look, look, look. look. If in the second half of the movie where you're spending more time scanning through the crowd shots to find all the cameos that they're squeezing in there of like, oh, look, there's Ookla the Mock from the Herculoids cartoon from the 70s. And, and, oh, literally. there's Jabberjaw. Oh, I literally there's... did not do that. I, I was so bored. I, that's what I was doing. I saw some of the DC characters on the front lines, and I'm just like, okay, of course, they're going to be out in front. I don't give a yeah, crap anymore. Yeah, they had like two or three on. different ver- – yeah, they had a bunch of villains from the the first run of Batman films. I give them credit because they had Joker's goons there, including the guy with the boombox. <laughs> I, I laughed at that. I was like, okay, that's an attention to detail I like. Um. No, I I knew it was going to be bad going in. And I did it as a double feature. So I watched the original and this one back to back. Um, I knew that the new one was going to be horrible. So when I sat down to watch it, I literally told myself, shut my brain off and try to watch this as if you're an eight-year-old kid. 
and I turned it on. And it was as bad as I thought it was going to be, but I laughed myself silly through it. Mm-hmm. I did. I really did. I I think I sent you a video, actually. Yeah, yes, you did. You did. You you en- you found a way to enjoy it. And I will admit there were a few jokes in there here and there that I chuckled at. I, I was like, okay. I was kind of half distracted because um, the guy who they have doing bugs now mm-hmm. is not quite – Mel Blanc. Not quite Mel Blanc. Yeah, he's not quite there. A lot of the other um, actors, and really it's a testament to what Mel Blanc was able to do, that they need like five, six, seven different people to come in to voice all of his characters. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, and also I want to give uh, the film credit for putting the voice actors in the opening credits, getting their names, you know, in the opening titles. That was something I noticed and was like, oh, because we don't see that a whole lot. No, in the original Space Jam, it was Michael Jordan, Bugs Bunny. Like, that was how it was credited. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, the voice actor's name up there. It was the character's name up there. Yeah. Um. So And Z- they didn't bring back the original voice actor for Lola. No. They got Zendaya. Which, which I mean... She was fine. She was good. There were, you know, some great reads to that, uh, to her lines and everything. I just felt Lola. like it was a little bit of a, well, we need another kind of marquee name in here. Let's throw that up. The problem I have right now with Lola is Lola Bunny in the original film, as sexualized as that character was, was memorable because she was comfortable in her sexuality. Okay. She literally walks on screen, you you know, da, 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 gets over and Bugs is just like, hey, doll, want to play some one-on-one? And she's like, and she's doll. Like- <laughs> throws a couple of hoops and then looks at him and goes, don't ever call me doll. Yeah, she shuts him down. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hot, it's sexy, <laughs> it's coy. But it's a complete shutdown. I I didn't have on my list of topics to discuss um, furries, cartoon sexual fantasies. But go on. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, I'm pretty certain between Lola Bunny and Kovu in the second Lion King, it really created a whole generation of furries. (laughs) (laughs) I will admit I had a thing for Kovu as a kid. Oh, my. (laughs) I had a thing for a cartoon line, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Suddenly so much makes sense now. Hey! But that being said, Lola was very underwhelming in this. By toning down some of her traits, they tried to build her character into, you know, kind of strong and warrior like yeah, yeah she's become an amazon like yes literally literally become an amazon and i'm gonna tell you right now we the didn't Amazons see on themiscara yeah in a cartoon version of wonder woman but we literally saw none of those skills exactly during the game and that's what destroyed it for me exactly destroyed her character like okay you're you're going to take away what makes lola lola and try to put something else in this place okay but then and actually use those freaking skills please exactly it was it was the weirdest case of, I, get, I don't know, an unused Chekhov's gun yeah. that I've ever seen in a movie in recent memory. Mm-hmm. I, I was 
I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. We're going to see her do some badass parkour stuff or whatever. You know, she's doing in this. Literally, and, Granny got to use her skills. Yeah. Granny got to, <laughs> Granny got to be all matrixy. And yeah, no one needed to see Granny in like a full leather <laughs> latex. <laughs> latex outfit. That was one of the things I laughed at so much. <laughs> I, I'm laughing because somebody got this actually through and into the movie. Somebody pitched this at some point and said, how about we put Granny into a latex outfit? fit and somebody said yeah sure i did like how they messed with chronos um the the time wielding oh, by the, using the, the, bullet time yes. against it like yes. i was just like okay okay i like okay. that idea yeah. that's that's closer towards the end of the book we should probably say there's probably gonna be a lot of uh, spoiler talking yeah for, there's for gonna be a spoiler top on space jam but space if you're jams, not planning Black the Widow, theater if you don't care gunshot milkshake maybe <laughs> everything we're gunpowder Gunpowder milkshake, excuse me. Um, um, but yeah. They, how about that Casablanca? <laughs> it, it felt obvious to have Sam in there. Obviously, when she says, play it again, Sam, or play it, Sam. And I was kind of like, there's no one else you really could have used. Obvi- so it's an obvious joke. And I don't know. Part of me felt it was kind of cynical in, in its use of just like, Here's a thing you like. It's it's my same problem that I have. The, the thing is with the kids, that's not a thing they like. Well, it's it's my same problem, partially my same problem with um, Ready Player One and a couple of other things like where they're like, hey, remember this thing you liked? Or, hey, here's this thing you know about. And we're supposed to make an emotional connection based on the fact that it's Casablanca, not based on the fact that it's coming out of the story, mm-hmm. that they're using it in an organic storytelling way. And that always bothers me when I see stuff like that. Uh, I think something like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I just recently rewatched about a month, within the last month, mm-hmm. does that kind of thing much, much better. Because it all feels in service to the story. This, I don't think so. Now, we had this conversation a little bit before, though. So, obviously, 10, 11-year-old kids who aren't as precocious as you or I were growing up uh, aren't going to understand what the hell Casablanca even is. And I actually posted on a a friend's uh, review of it, and I said, I like the idea that whilst you have... Austin Powers and The Matrix and Mad Max Fury Road. Those are all films that are semi-recent in memory that kids who are 13, 14 have probably watched those Versus an 80-year-old movie, yeah. Yeah, versus Casablanca. So if it makes them go, why is this film with the popular kids... And it causes them to go check it out to understand why. I, I think that's a gambit worth playing. I, I, I see your point. I'm not sure it 100% plays out in reality. I think some kids are just like, eh, old movie, moving on. Or they or their parents explain it to them and then they don't actually go out and fi- watch Casablanca. But there are still going to be those kids out there who do. So, So you're kind of like... If it if it hits five five uh, percent of the kids in the right way, you're good. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. If five percent, because that is five percent of a generation who would not have watched it 
because they didn't have someone who had watched it before them to introduce them to it. Okay. Okay. Now, taking that to the extreme, though, and I'm reasonably sure that I'm just being extremist here to be extremist and not with an actual point. So kids start researching all the background characters, and maybe that takes them to... Clockwork Orange. <laughs> Clockwork. Well, let's get to Clockwork Orange. I was going to start off, you know, a little bit more softer with Batman sixty six, and then, you know, the the Tim Burton Batman films. And as I said to you before this even started, oh, you know, there was the Herculoids uh, characters from the Herculoids, and there's mm-hmm. Judy Jetson, and there's Captain I, Caveman. I did see Judy Jetson yeah. there, yeah. And there's Captain Caveman sitting in the Flintstones car, and there's this, and there's that. And like I said, I was kind of bored by the movie that I just started looking for the cameos. But do you want your kid to, maybe at 10 years old, do you think A Clockwork Orange is really the most uh, appropriate thing for them to start going, oh, I wonder what this is about. What? Even worse. I saw it at seven. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm going to have to have a long talk with your mother one day. <laughs> you get to uh, thank her? <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> Find out what was going on there. Um, but also, honestly, and this is something that has a lot of people upset. The, you see a nun in that crowd at, some, at a couple of points. Mm-hmm. That nun is from the Ken Russell movie, The Devils, from 1971. It's considered kind of a bit of a horror classic. And it hasn't been available on home video in a very long time. Okay. Um, basically, there's a scene in there because it's about um, nuns and um, and a convent that is actually practicing witchcraft and things like that. There's a scene where um, the nuns are all naked having an orgy and one of them um, takes a cross and... Um, does some stuff that uh, then we all see in The Exorcist a little bit later. <laughs> uh, I've never seen The Devils, so I'm just going by its reputation. I don't know how exactly graphic or not graphic that is, but even an ungraphic version of that would probably bother a lot of people. Is that placing a character like that into a kid's movie or family film like that? Was that really the best way to do Especially when it says... Warner Brothers, as a corporation, is fine with the character and reutilizing it here, but we can't be bothered to release the the film that it's from. It's not available on home video, but you can go and rent it over on Amazon Prime. You can? And on Shudder. I'm very surprised because everybody seemed to think that there was no Blu-ray for it. and There that probably it just isn't Blu-ray for it. But you can watch it over on Shutter. Okay. Well, even putting that aside, putting that corporate, you know, that possibility of corporate hypocrisy aside. Okay, no, it's not on Prime Video, but it is on mm. Shutter. It was on Prime Video at one point. Okay. But are you still okay with a character like that being in a kid's movie? Um... I think that they're hoping – this is kids we're talking about, okay? hmm They notice what's directly in front of them, not the attention to detail. They don't have the attention span for that. Um, so I would say they're not going to catch 
all of the ones in the crowd. They're going to catch the big ones, like King Kong and is that Penguin? And I think I see Catwoman. I don't know what that is, but uh, if I don't know it, I'm not going to pay attention to it. I I was thinking like a kid the other night. And, um, but Casablanca, you're being thrust into an actual scene from the movie. Yes. That they're going to pay attention to because it's directly smack dab in their face. Okay. I see your point in delineating between the two. Yeah. And I accept that. I, I understand I that. think uh, we, who are very attention to detail and going, oh, I wonder what's in that crowd. Kids don't think like that. <laughs> Getting them to sit still is a chore in itself. Getting them to actually pay attention to what's like minuscule on your television, forget mm. it. That won't come until maybe 10 years from now, five, 10 years. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. It's just something that I saw being discussed on film Twitter and. I hadn't seen the movie yet, so I was kind of like, eh. I haven't but seen it either. Vanessa Redgrave and Oliver Reed's in it, which yes. makes me want to. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And that's something, you know, I, I, I'm I not really conversant with a lot of Ken Russell outside of um, Tommy. Yeah, that was like, I think that might be the which only Which I haven't one seen, seen in forever. And um, I watched Tommy while I was taking down a Christmas tree. <laughs> And I'm going to tell you right now, I had this stuff. That's a weird background to have. Well, I I had recently been cast in a production of Tommy. Yes. Um, And I was taking down the Christmas tree, and I was prepping for the show, and I thought, you know, I'm going to watch this movie while I'm doing this. Um, And then I just remember turning around, and I don't remember what scene it was, but I had to slowly sit down on the tel- on the television on the the, on the sofa. I had to slowly sit down on the sofa while holding a big ball a strand of ball strand of lights in my hand because I was just like, I feel like I'm high. <laughs> I just remember going, "What is this? And why is it making me feel like I'm high?" Was it the song uh, The Acid Queen with Tina Turner? It might have been Acid okay. Queen, actually. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, that's sort of Ken Russell's thing, I think. Uh, I can't really say. Like I said, I've only seen Tommy, and the other film of his that I've seen is Whore. And I saw that like 30 years ago. And it's it's like a vague memory to me. So that's one I would definitely need to revisit if I decided to kind of do like a Ken Russell retrospective. Okay. All right, so that was a recent release that we saw. That was a thing that happened, yes. <laughs> How about that Austin Powers one but, really quick? I have to. I'm sorry, because we just recently watched it. So yes. I just uh, recently saw it for mm-hmm. the first time. It, that was cute, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Because we're not video podcasting right now, you guys can't tell that I'm doing the- the uh, pinky thing. The pinky thing from <laughs> that, uh, that uh, mm. oh, God, Dr. Evil does. Yes. But uh, I was going to say, moving on from... Um... Seth Green was in Space Jam. Wait, he was? Well, in that scene from Austin Powers. Oh, okay. Technically, that makes him in Space Jam. Yeah. Yes. And, um... yeah. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to kind of move on. I wanted to hit, because um, we are halfway through the year, uh, and we've both seen some films. I know we didn't. 
you know, we talked about doing an, uh, an entire episode of like our top 10, our best of the year so far. You and, talked about it. I and just then you shot me. No, I mentioned I it. And you shot me you. down. That was a talk. <laughs> um, but I did kind of want to just throw out because I did kind of make a list. And some of these are things I've seen on festivals at Tribeca and South by Southwest. And honestly, very much, um, you know, would recommend them. So I just at least want to throw those out. And I know you have a one or two or three that you saw this year that you really wanted to recommend to. So I think we should probably hit that before we kind of dig into uh, Black Widow. Okay. All right. So uh, in no particular order, um, it has been a good year for music uh, documentaries because Sparks Brothers from um, Edgar Wright is fantastic. And so is Summer of Soul from Questlove. I've but, heard I've heard that's yeah, good. Summer of Soul is available on Hulu. So, you know, if you have Hulu, check it out. It's two hours and you'll just walk away from it going, I want to see all those performances in full. Um, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which is an absolutely silly comedy. That's also on Hulu right now. Um, I it, it contains the single funniest edit I've ever seen in my life. Fuck. <laughs> don't spoil it don't spoil it but i had it was so good i had to i had to send just that to you um already mentioned in the heights just how much i liked it um mitchell's versus the machines animated film on netflix right now which is just wonderful uh werewolves within a nice little horror mystery And um, let's see what else. Lost Leonardo, which is a documentary on a piece of art that was discovered that may have been a lost work of Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, Dating in New York. Uh, Larry Flint for president as of yet, which was actually a um, a COVID rom-com that worked. Because <laughs> I've seen – Tribeca was weird. It had about three, three, maybe four movies that were all very much – related to covid and the pandemic and the lockdown and stuff like that and i know you and i had talked about do we want to do a short film set then and we were kind of the the idea of a a, everybody's gonna be doing it and b no one's gonna want to think about the lockdown once it's all over and wasn't i right pretty much that's not to say though that as of yet it's not a bad movie i did like it um and, uh, and I technically watched one myself. I watched uh, Lockdown with Anne Hathaway that's right. and Chiwetel Ejiofor. Yeah. Um, and also uh, Larry Flint for President, which is another really good uh, documentary. But what did you see this year that you just wanted to kind of throw out there really quick? And it has to be 2021? Has to be 2021, yes. Uh... I had all that time given to you while I was rambling. Well, I haven't seen as many as you have. I know. I know. I'm at... 2012. I've seen 42 and 2021 releases. And I've seen, releases. like, 12. <laughs> um, because I've been catching up on some older stuff. Uh, the only one that I would recommend out of the ones that we've discussed on the podcast so far is Malcolm and Murray. On Netflix with okay. Zendaya and John David Washington from the creators of Euphoria. Um, it is 
it was done during COVID, but it is not about COVID. Um, it is a family drama. And when I say family drama, just a couple. Uh, it's shot in black and white, and it's about their argument, series of arguments over the course of a single night. Uh, and it's really good. I, I know that you had problems with it. Yes. But I think your problems stemmed from the self-indulgence of the one character. <laughs> I I would still say that this would be in my top half of the year. You know, so my top 20, top 21, technically. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's worth checking out. It's definitely worth checking out. For, um, for prepping for my short film that we recently did, I actually had my actor watch it. I had him watch uh, a bunch of films that are stemmed in relationships um such as obviously marriage story and um closer and i i even watched uh scenes well, no i no i meant to watch scenes from a marriage i didn't get to it <laughs> damn but i i would say that this is malcolm marie has proven itself worthy of being in that category. Yeah, and with those films. And thinking back to, you know, what you know, the short that we did, I can definitely see that influence of Malcolm and Marie mm-hmm. in there. I mean, it's it's obviously it's a different type of story, but I see, you know, that influence there very strongly actually. Really? But yeah, just just the way uh the pacing of rising and falling of argument and stuff like that. Um and you know, granted the, what you did uh with uh with your other lead for the short and the rehearsal process that you went, you know, kind of made it it's very much its own thing. Mm-hmm. So I understand that. <laughs> it's just um interesting that that's, you know, that I'm like, "Huh. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I can see where that works." <laughs> but anyways, um so that brings us to the midpoint of the year. And the midpoint happened to be two female-led action movies released over the course of a week. <laughs> yep. Both of which we were looking forward to. Yes. As well. Um, obviously, Black Widow, first theatrical Marvel Cinematic Universe offering since in two years and a, Spider-Man. Like a day or two. Yeah, since um, Spider-Man Far From Home. And... Whoosh, what a wait. <laughs> and um, hell of a wait. Um <laughs> honestly I'm kind of glad if if I can kind of throw this out here first. I'm kind of glad we got that breather, kind of like a palate cleanser to After Endgame. Yeah, a little bit of a a cinematic sorbet to just okay, we're good. Let's, now build let's us. take some time off because if we jumped right back into phase 4 after everything that led up Starting from the beginning of a storyline, a new story. Yeah, it feels like you know you're building, you're building, you're building, and then you're back down to you know you're building, you're building climax, and then you're back down here. And yeah, it 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 if if it happened too fast, it would have felt weird. I agree. I actually Mm -hmm. agree. That doesn't mean that after every uh, ending of one of the Marvel storylines, we need a pandemic. No. no. <laughs> this one doesn't want to be working yeah. from home again. Never. Never. Because <laughs> I don't have a separate room where I can just go and do my work thing here in my apartment. My apartment has to share space with my work 
and I don't like those idiots coming into my home. <laughs> Basically. You have nowhere to go after I that. Know. I I know I have a four-step uh, journey to uh, my bar uh, <laughs> where there's a half uh, empty bottle of writer's tears scotch right now. I um, think I think unfortunately that writer's tears is my fault, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I got it for you to get you through the What what is it that I put on the card? To get you through the Warner Brothers debacle? Oh, yeah. Some, yeah, I think you bought that for me right around when Warner's was announcing um, HBO Max. HBO Max and the whole, we're going to do, you know, we're going to do all our 2021 movies on, on the service and in theaters simultaneously. And I was like, what? And you're like, here, you need booze. I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> and how did that work out so far? <laughs> well, let's see. Not very well for Warner Brothers, uh, apparently. No, but great for us. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it means as long as we make the time, we can actually catch up with all of these for <laughs> relatively free. It, it, a lot of the streaming and going to streaming faster, and granted, part of this is also because the uh, studios have been withholding a lot of stuff yet, waiting for things to get a little bit better. And I think the fall is going to be crazy nuts for releases. But mm -hmm. I've kind of made a list of things I still needed to catch up with from the first half of the year. And it's four titles. Four movies. Usually at this point in the year, I'm like, oh, my God, there's like 20 things I need to see. 25 things I need to see. And I'm like panicking because I'm already thinking about my end of the year stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is nuts. I'm never going to do this. And You're sitting at what, 89? I've seen 89 total movies so far this year. And I've seen 86 total movies yeah. this year. Now, of that 89, 42 were 2021 releases, as I said a little while That's ago. That's insane. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I feel like I've – I, I still don't feel like I've seen like a lot of foreign films. I've seen a lot of documentaries. Documentaries are inexpensive and – Therefore, they can throw them on streaming, and it's easy to recoup their budget and make a profit. So I think that's why we've been seeing a lot of that, you know, a lot more documentaries over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Well, the last year and a half. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, but anyways, Black Widow, we are really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. And um, Gunpowder Milkshake, really looking forward to that, because we, we're both big Karen Gillan fans. Uh, it sounded like a fun premise of her working as a an assassin for a thing and boy which one, one did you like better definitely black widow yeah same yes. here it, it it's it's frustrating too because gunpowder milkshake by the way is available on netflix right now um it has its moments it has its moments the fight it's, scenes are great yeah, it's beautifully it, shot it's beautifully shot um but ultimately it feels kind of hollow it does. It's the script. Yeah. I, I I will actually admit though there was one section where the uh, the fight scene was not cooking along well enough, mm -hmm. and they kept cutting to shots of Lena Haiti slow motion running, and I'm just like, you know, if the, you didn't have the shots of the slow motion running here, this scene would not feel so drawn out. Mm -hmm. My problem, I well, let me take a step back. I was interested in the fact that, upon reflection, both of those movies are dealing in similar themes. They are women who are killers who don't necessarily want to be killers, and are dealing with broken childhoods and under the power of men. 
yes, under the thumb of, you know, men. So how they go about that, though, is Black Widow, you know, kind of frames it in a story about family and things like that. Oh, and they're both for actually they're both framed in stories about family. Yeah. I just think Black Widow just told a better story. Uh, the themes resonated more, I think. They found they found a way to draw a okay, big spoiler here for Black Widow. Um one of the villains they face off against is the Marvel Comics character Taskmaster. We're not getting into the Taskmaster no, no, thing. I'm not not no 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 no. I'm just really quickly Taskmaster is a villain that um once they see you know, somebody do a skill, they immediately have mastered it. They know how to do it and everything. So, you know, basically Taskmaster has just sat there and shown a lot of fight videos of Natasha. Um, so Taskmaster can beat Natasha. Turns out Taskmaster is actually somebody who was injured but presumed dead by something that um, Natasha had done in order to get out of the Red Room, and become an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. And so, like, but, you know, she was, uh, Taskmaster was uh, uh, found, you know. Saved. Saved, brought back to life, and stuck into this, you know, kind of cybernetic suit, and basically was under the rule of her father, who ran the Red Room, as a, um, as an assassin. And was used as a tool and wasn't loved by her father. And, you know, and that's how Natasha saw her time in the Red Room. As she wasn't loved, she was just used as a tool and that's why she wanted to get away. So she saw and made a connection with, you know, her adversary. Mm -hmm. And that allows her to do a humane act at the end. And I really liked all of that because it was thematically exploring those ideas. I agree. In the plot. I really didn't see anything like that, any kind of thematic exploration in uh, Gunpowder Milkshake. There wasn't. No. It was like, oh, my mom left me. Oh, mom's back. Now we go shoot people. And that was it. I, and I was disappointed in that because Karen Gillan's a good actor. Lena Headley's a good actor. You have you, you, you have, have a shit ton of great actors in this You have Angela thing. Bassett, Michelle Yeoh, Gina mm-hmm. Carino. Not Gina Carino. Not Gina Carino. Oh, Carla Gugino. That's Carly, it. Yeah. Carla Gugino. Yes. I get those two mixed up sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, Carla Gugino is playing like the the most Carla Gugino character ever. <laughs> Fucking librarian. Mm-hmm. I I could see almost that her character it used to be the reporter on Spin City in the first season and then said, you know what? I got to leave because uh, Deputy Mayor Mike's irritating me. And then she goes and becomes this librarian for a place that, you know, gives guns it's out to It's pretty much an armory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could see that happening. Was I right about Michelle Yeoh's uh, kind of Marlene Dietrich lesbian vibe? Yes. Oh, amazing. There's a lot of lesbian vibe all over this movie. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> and I don't have a problem with it. I they was like, never actually, they tease you with it, but they yeah. never actually. They, they don't spell it out. It, it almost feels in some ways like old school Hollywood coding. Yeah. It's like, oh, really she's weird. wearing pants and got the short skirt, uh, got the short hair with the finger waves in it. Wink. <laughs> And, uh, but I mean, it's obvious and I, you know, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. 
But what was really funny was, again, I'm going back to Twitter because Twitter makes me laugh. Um, somebody oh on God. Twitter actually said, oh, it's so great to see Gunpowder Milkshake because it was finally a, a movie where women kick ass that wasn't a Marvel movie. And I'm like, are you fucking out of your mind? Birds of Prey? Well, not even a comic book movie. Let's let's take a step back and look at Michelle Yeoh's entire fucking filmography, starting with uh, yeah, Police Story Three: Super Cop with Jackie Chan, where oh, we're gonna teach you how to ride a motorcycle so you can jump a motorcycle onto a moving train in one take. Uh, and uh, the Heroic Trio and the Executioners, which are two great Hong Kong films, which feature three women in the leads. Kicking an enormous amount of ass can through we, these movies. Can we talk about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Yes. Literally a movie that cemented uh, warrior female role models for me as a kid. <laughs> like, everyone mm-hmm. had Disney princesses. I had those two badass bitches. Yes. You had <laughs> you had Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and Milan. Yeah. Original Milan. And and yes, I can see. <laughs> <laughs> you can see where yes, some of that gonna, rubbed off. At some point, I'm going to send you home with a stack of Michelle Yeoh Hong Kong stuff to watch. Oh, my God. I and was, I'm just going to get calls from you at like 2 a.m. going, oh, my God. <laughs> I was watching um, is, uh, a friend of ours. Uh, we call him Z. Yes. Uh, has a very weird taste in films. He likes B films from the 70s and 80s and just crazy over the top action pieces that don't make any sense. <laughs> Um, and he posted something with Michelle Yeoh from like the eighties, uh, her and another woman doing like a stairway fight or something in a restaurant or it was like a couple months back. Mm-hmm. And that actually caused me to watch Crouching Tiger and Dragon. <laughs> <Again>. <laughs> yeah. So, so a, I don't think we see enough awesome Female-led action films. I mean, in the last year, couple of years, we've had a handful or two. We've had a bunch of them. Lucy, Anna, uh, Red Sparrow, Black Christmas, Black Christmas, uh, Ready or Not. There was um, not American Assassin, American. Uh, I I I'm trying to remember what you're. You, you know what of. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of. Um, but it's Assassination would, Nation. Assassination Nation. Yes, but I I'll admit I do want to see more. I mean, it, we still got a long ways to go before we balance out, like, the testosterone-laden 80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, I, oh, Peppermint Twist. Remember that? Oh, just Peppermint? with or Peppermint, a, Peppermint, yeah. Jennifer yeah. Garner? Yeah. Wasn't good. But. I think over the past 20 years, we've gotten a handful of female-led action movies, starting with Lara Croft, Underworld, Ultraviolet. Mm-hmm. Um, anything Mila Jovovich is in, pretty much. Basically, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was well. I was trying to keep it out of like franchise stuff for for at least for a moment or two. Oh, Ultraviolet, not into... franchise. Oh yeah, that's right. It was its own thing. Because um, it wasn't good, but yeah, it was fun. I forgot it. <laughs> it was so much. Actually, that there's a there's a one scene, uh, a library fight scene in there that kind of reminded me similarly of Equilibrium. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but yeah, but Gunpowder Milkshake, stylish as it is, as wonderful as it looks, it's just, it kind of just rolled over me, and I was like, eh. I I, I, I laughed. Mm-hmm. It, I enjoyed the fight scenes. There was something about, they had a thing about mouths and teeths. Mm-hmm. Uh, te- teeths? 
Teeth. Tooths. <laughs> Teeth in it. <laughs> Hence, like, someone's head getting crushed by a ceramic cookie jar in the shape of a tooth, and then someone later ends up getting, like, a hammer in the mouth and getting dragged by... <laughs> and also there was something another something else, scene, wasn't it? Yeah, some... At one point, one person says to another, oh, you've got something in your hair. This is after a big bloody fight scene. They pick it up. They go, oh, it's a tooth. And they toss it away. Um, yeah. This was sponsored, I think, in part by the American Dental Association. I'm not sure. Uh, the laughing gas that... Yeah, that, again, that was too. great. I was just laughing and laughing and, and laughing and about the, that. The, there's some inventive fight work, too. Like yeah. the, the fight where she, her arms are paralyzed mm-hmm. and she's in the chair. I thought was great. I was like, wow, this is really fun. This is inventive. and But the story just is not there. And um, even, yeah, Ugh. even in the bowling alley, mm-hmm. like that is a beautifully shot fight scene. That's that's the most beautiful cinematic bowling alley I've seen since um, Across the Universe. Yes, <laughs> I will agree with you there. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, uh, my husband likened that particular scene with that lighting to... Um, House of uh, Blue Leaves. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. 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 And uh, when she picked up the bowling ball and rolled it, <laughs> he's like, oh, no, please don't tell me he's, she's gonna. And it cracks the guy in the head. And he's like, mm-hmm. that was still me. <laughs> he was already down. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, but it's the face. Mm-hmm. They've got a thing about mouth and face. Yeah. And. <laughs> And I guess they're feeling confident that this is going to be this is going to do well for Netflix because I don't recall seeing it reported anywhere. But when I went to enter this into my letterbox, mm-hmm. the autofill, I think I spelled out, you know, gunpowder and put M. The autofill underneath gave me gunpowder milkshake and then gunpowder milkshake, too. So it's drawing from a database that somebody feels confidence that a sequel is going to happen. So, whether it does or not, we'll find out. Um, I don't think so, because it's Netflix, and uh, they they don't have a habit of making sequels. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. We're getting a sequel to uh, The Tomorrow War. That's Amazon, though. Oh, that's right. That's Amazon. I'm sorry. Yeah. It runs under a different set of rules. Yeah, 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 yeah. Plus, that had Chris Pratt, and it did ridiculous yeah. numbers over yeah, the weekend. Did. I mean, Whereas, both uh, Amazon and Netflix are really conforming their release schedules uh, and what they're buying and creating to a lot of uh, demographic information that they have yeah. based on what people have already seen. So I would think Gun that if Gunpowder Milkshake didn't really get much in the way of marketing. No, it didn't. Whereas Tomorrow War was marketing even at Cinemark. Yeah. Um, Netflix is throwing Mm -hmm. out their marketing right now for Fear Street, which came out like the same day as Gunpowder Milkshake. I I logged in and Gunpowder Milkshake was on my home screen. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's probably because that's closer to my demographic than Fear Street is. Yeah. I I can't remember what was on mine. But uh, it, it amazes me, though, that they would think, okay, we know we're going to do well with this based on past performances of other things like this. It amazes me then that they wouldn't go, wouldn't greenlight a project that was going to do well enough where they already were thinking, well, if it obviously if it does as well as we expect, we're going to want a sequel. Mm-hmm. 
to get, you know, similar numbers or, you know, slightly less numbers, but still good. So it, it boggles my mind, really, that there isn't a lot of sequels for Netflix things. And I'm wondering what that says about Netflix's um, uh, accuracy in what they uh, determine. And that's always such a big wild card because I'm okay no one's with ever that. releasing these kind of figures for for. I'm actually okay with that because Netflix seems to do a little better with inventive ideas. Um, I wouldn't say that they're inventive as in completely original, but they know how to create something that feels new Mm -hmm. and, but they don't want to keep throwing money in the same bucket without a guarantee that it's going to work. Fear Street, they knew was going to work. Something about it. um, They're just like, this is going to be, this is going to be fantastic. We've got one of the kids from Stranger Things in it. Mm -hmm. Like, and Stranger Things was a hit for us. This kind of has a similar idea. We're dealing with different decades. So there's something for everyone. We're going to make all three of these. But they did it at once. Yeah. Uh, Well, actually, I thought Fear Street was picked up by Netflix. I thought that was a sell-off from one of the studios. I mean, it... it and it, it may be. It, it may have I may been. be wrong on that. They, they have so much that they brand as a Netflix original that they have bought from the studios. And Amazon's the same way. Yeah. That it's it's kind of hard to... Gunpowder is from Studio keep, Canal. Yeah. So... It's kind of hard to kind of remember how to keep track of all of that without, you know, off the top of our heads in discussions like this. I mean, if we were writing about this, we... Do a crap ton more research, maybe. True, <laughs> but um, but yeah, but circling back, let's get back to Black Widow. Because I was just about movie. to go there. It's the better movie. We spent more time bitching and complaining about the disappointment uh, factor. We of... spent forty five minutes on the opening credits alone. <laughs> By the way, from now on, I think it would be a good idea if we could, you know, if we think we're gonna start talking. Maybe this is another option that we could try for podcast. And yes, you're keeping this in while we're discussing this on air. Welcome to a production meeting, everybody. Yes. <laughs> Keep our phone next to us. If we think we're going to get into a really good discussion, hit record. See if we could stitch something together through separate. Mm, that's a thought. Yeah, because I have a feeling like we touch on a lot of things. And then by the time it gets around for the podcast and we've been sitting on it for a while... It's not as fresh in our head, and we forget things. True. But yeah, we we had a discussion about the opening credits, which, well, first of all, I want to say that, uh, okay, well, let's go to the opening credits. Um, <laughs> the opening credits, I thought, were visually very arresting, very stunning, in the most positive way possible. Yeah. Because it was very much atypical Marvel. Um, which was nice, actually, uh, because you we, it's a new phase. So let's, you know, you, they've earned the right to be a little bit more artistic than even the boundaries that they've kind of pushed against so far. I agree. And I, th- I think also having Chloe Zhao directing The Eternals is really going to amp that thought up. I think people are going to be very surprised. I mean, you're still <laughs> going to have stuff that looks like, quote, unquote, a typical Marvel movie. Um, but 
you know, like I guarantee you, Spider Man is not suddenly going to change up its visual style for the third Spider Man movie in December. No, no. Um, uh, you know, I don't think you know. Um, I think Shang Chi might have something interesting to visually offer us. They haven't really hinted at it yet so much in the trailers we've seen, but I think there might be something there. When you're dealing with a a culture as beautiful and as colorful and diverse as the the Asian cultures, um, yeah, there's gonna be there there has to be something mm-hmm. there. It, it just makes sense. It's part of who they are. But I think bringing in Kate Shortland to direct Black Widow though was a really smart move, and that was, it was. Scarlett Johansson really, you know, rallying for her both with Kate to get Kate Shortland to get her to come in, and then selling her to Marvel as well. Mm-hmm. And it was a great idea because I think that opening sequence, that pre-title sequence, that's all set. Cat has an Americans vibe to it, by the way. Yeah. Um, I need to actually watch that show, I but need, I, yeah. I, I've seen enough yeah, it, of it. To... It, it. I know enough of the premise to know, yeah, it's, it's a riff on the Americans set, you know, <laughs> 10 years, <laughs> a decade later. Um, but I think the way, like those opening shots of just, um, you know, young Natasha and young... Um, Yelena. Yelena playing as little girls and biking through the neighborhood and everything. Mm-hmm. It was something we've not seen in a Marvel film before. I mean, we've seen it elsewhere, that kind of stylistic, almost dreamlike shooting. And I was appreciative. I was like, yeah, this is a little bit more artistic. And granted, by the time we're having car chases through, you know, the cities and capitals of Europe, we're pretty much, you know, back in standard Marvel territory, at least in terms of the visual look. But that opening sequence, all the way through to the titles even, and yes, there's a short, small action sequence involved in that as they escape from the U.S. Um, I really liked that. I was like, wow, this is different. This is beautiful. And I, I think I was pretty much like, we're not going to see this movie. This is not going to be the movie all the way through. No. Just even based on what we saw in trailers. But I was appreciative that we were able to get that and that um, Shortland was able to kind of get her own visual stamp on the movie at least yeah those opening credits are probably the best i've seen in the entire marvel cinematic universe Mm -hmm. we don't get opening credits a whole lot um we oftentimes have that ending credit like right before the mid credit sequence happens yeah, that is kind of you know style, stylistic stylistic and... I'm thinking of like in one of the last couple of Avengers movies like the Avengers all like as statues and they're zooming around yeah and they throw or the, the um, and... yeah or um, in um, Spider-Man when you've got you know, stuff going on in the end credits but opening credits are a rarity period uh, anymore anymore and um, here it needed to be first off the the film takes place in 95 opening mm-hmm. credits in films in the 90s were a little more commonplace so opening it as if you know we're we're pulling from that time using a remixed version of smells like teen spirit which i'm sorry we that was this probably is, a bulk is, of our conversation yes, that this day this is where we um had words yes and uh, <laughs> which which sounds more ominous than the conversation was um <laughs> it was not a word words. and a blow <laughs> <laughs> hands were thrown no um no because i'm 
I am very much Gen X. Uh, I very much was, my 20s were in part defined by, like, bands like Nirvana and songs like Smells Like Teen Spirit, which, when Kurt Cobain wrote it, was an anthem about apathetic youth and also an anthem about people who kind of, like, you know, college-age kids who were like, oh, this is the new cool thing. I'll go do new, do the new cool thing. And so it was like, you know, showing up in an Izod shirt and trying to get into a mosh pit. Something like that is the best way I can kind of, I don't want to say poser, but posers. Um, people who were kind of like into something because it was trendy or different and not because they were actually making an emotional or intellectual connection with the music or the art form under discussion. And I think that's what the song was about. And that's that kind of fueled me for a while, too, in how I looked at looked at art, looked at fandom. And that's a ter- by the way, that's a terrible, <laughs> terrible thing to say about being in an Izod shirt and showing up in a mosh pit. Sometimes people's, you know, art choices don't mm-hmm. are not actually seen on. on yeah, I know. And that's it, it was, pigeonholing them into a certain category. Yeah, I know. It's it can be a little gatekeepy. I understand that. I absolutely understand it, and I'm not that person anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still say though that um, the song itself was a criticism of posers and people who co-opt a culture just for the their own social cachet. And. You have a different view of the song. I do. Um, I am still trying to figure out exactly where I fall in. I was born in 95, so I've been told I am on the low end of the millennial scale, and then I've also heard I'm actually on the high end of the Gen X scale. So I don't know where I fall in technically in those categories, but I do have a different view on this. You're a millennial X? I'm like can, right can, there on can the we, cusp Can we make that a word? Millennix? <laughs> <laughs> the subcategory of both and, of them. And your favorite band is 10,000 Millennix. Um <laughs> Get out. I'm being kicked out of my own apartment now. Sink into the floor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but that's not getting cut out. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But no, I I was around when emo emo was like my middle school year. So like from 2008 to like 2012 or 2013, I was from in middle school to high school mm-hmm. at that time. And emo was like our thing. But for anyone who was kind of into emo, either came from rock, grunge, or metal. Usually it was grunge because grunge felt like it was the generational similarity. Um, it, it's like listening to the Smiths. They're very emo without using emo. They're the new wave version of emo. Yeah, pretty much. Yes. <laughs> okay. so <laughs> They're the hipster emo because they were emo before emo. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, every generation, I think, has its version of emo. It's just whether or not they call it that. Um, I would actually say at this point, Billie Eilish is, for Gen Z, is their version of emo. Um, 
And and so I kind of looked at this as in the way that I looked at most of the music I listened to at in middle school at the time. Um and that was we sang this song as like an anthem of rebellion mm-hmm. and um kind of feeling like our lives are meaningless. And it was giving up a, a middle finger to our parents or our grandparents for trying to pigeonhole us uh, into the standards of what they wanted and the standards of society. The parental, um, you know, helicopter parenting and all that shit. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, you know, fuck you. I'm in to use the term from Space Jam New Legacy. I'm going to do me. And mm-hmm. if you don't like it, fine. This is what you're getting. Yeah. And and I find that ironic because your parents' generation or generation of parents for, you know, roughly people your age are yeah. my age or a bit older. Yeah. Or, you know, a few years, 10 years older. So it's it's kind of like a weird overlap there of those two Venn uh, those two circles into a weird Venn diagram. Yeah, and uh, it, and it probably was something that they were introduced to via their parents. Oh yeah, and they just adopted their own ideas about what the song meant to them mm-hmm. emotionally, um, which and, I think speaks to the power of the song itself. Yes, and that yeah. Or, the song or any great piece of art it is open to multiple interpretations some vastly different from what maybe the artist even intended it's an easy it's an easy thing to share with your parents uh is music mm-hmm. particularly when they're the ones who introduced it so say you introduce your child rich to i i, I just said child cuz yeah. obviously um, Indiana Drees, yes. Yes, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> and now you can now you know why I could never find a woman who wanted to have children with me. <laughs> well, the first kid's gonna be named Indiana, obviously. <laughs> You're just looking at me like what? It's Indiana Bonsai Drees. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I see nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> anyway, oh, diverging. So you introduce your child to grunge, mm-hmm. but they can blast it in their their um, while they lock themselves in their bedroom, and you're like, you won't think anything of it. To them, they think they're throwing you the middle finger. For that, for you, you're just like, oh, they're listening to really good music. You oh, know what? I'm that. not gonna. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So uh, it's... parenting win. <laughs> yeah for you you'll think parenting win for them they'll say that's their way of leave me the hell alone um and so i kind of looked at it because these opening credits have to deal with natasha being taken as a child to the red room mm-hmm. and the psychological conditioning that she goes through as she gets older um and it w- it was a nice way of using that song as I thought she was, in a way, the one singing it. it she's not. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to the vocals... It's emblematic of her growing attitude of rebellion and dissent. Yeah. And and how she sees um, the controlling aspects around her. And it's, it's how she stays sane. 
um, amidst it all. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I, I thought that song, it's extremely slowed down. It's not fast. It works, uh, stylistically for this segment. Mm-hmm. And, and we should know too. Excuse me. We should know too that this was not the original Nirvana version. No, I uh, said this, it was a cover. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. By um, I just want to throw their name out there. Think up anger with um, Melia J. Mm-hmm. Melia J is the singer. Think up anger is the producer. Okay. Well, I was. Yeah, I know. I. <laughs> I'm just reading off of off the off of uh, Wikipedia because I was like, wait, who was that? We probably. I know. I I had to so. I had to Google it the day after we saw the movie, <laughs> and I I listened to it on repeat all day. I think my uh, my coworkers were getting angry with me. About <laughs> it. I was just like, I was in a mood anyway that day, and that song was just kind of perfect. Um, but no, I I would definitely say that Black Widow. I'm going to throw the same question I threw to Paul and JW over on Loud and Nerdy. Okay. It Could this be the best post-Me Too feminist film we've seen yet? Oh, boy. Um, it's up there because I think it thematically works with a lot of things that it, – it, makes a meal out of its themes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't kind of just give you a theme and then kind of not do anything with it, like gunpowder milkshake. <laughs> um, there's a couple of things. Okay, there's an indie film called The Assistant from last year that I would want to see first before I made a definite answer to this. But this is a film, I think, because it deals with um, basically child trafficking uh, and women's to right to choose, and, and I'm not talking abortion here. I'm talking about although forced hysterectomy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I would say it definitely should be in the conversation because it actually kind of delves into these themes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't it, see it, it being so. It becomes these themes become part of the plot as opposed to being a thing that stated at the beginning. It's Here's the difference between Black Widow and Gunpowder Milkshake. They both kind of state their thesis right mm-hmm. at the top and then don't actually do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gunpowder Milkshake doesn't do anything with it. Black Widow, I think, does kind of dig into that a bit and addresses that in the form of what they do with the Taskmaster character. In or the f- even more so the the scene between Dreykov and Natasha near the end. Um, where he pulls up all these different photos of girls around the world, and he says, "I use in the shadows an abundance of the world's large um, use, you know, mm-hmm. the world's most abundant resource, which is girls." And she and she pisses him off, and he starts swinging at her, and she lets him hit her, and she. Uh, there is a reason why she lets him hit her. It's, but it's, a, it, it's a ploy for it's, something. For for something kind of goofy, I'll admit. Something kind of goofy. But anyway, she eggs him on by saying, oh, I bet you you're powerful now beating up on defenseless women. Mm-hmm. And there is there is a little bit of Harvey Weinstein in here. I was just going to say. Actually, just... someone threw Jeffrey Epstein at me recently. Oh, okay. I, Jeffrey Epstein in – action not in looks i think this guy 
kind of has just enough of a resemblance of Harvey Weinstein for it not to yeah. be accidental. And it's funny, too, because... And Ray Winstone is a fantastic actor that I don't oh, God, think yeah. gets a lot of play over here. Mm-hmm. And the moment I saw him in the trailer, I said, we're in for a ride. <laughs> because un- with the exception of Kingdom of the Crystal mm-hmm. Skull... Ray Winstone has never delivered a bad performance. Just look at him in The Departed. True. And it's funny because I didn't think about the uh, – I mean, I th- I think I probably thought about the Harvey Weinstein thing a little bit in terms of the broader Me Too aspect of the movie. Yeah. But I don't think I th- really thought about the physical resemblance until I started watching while waiting for you to come over the first episode of the, um, the HBO mini – documentary miniseries um that kind of relates to ronan farrow's catch and uh uh, catch and release or whatever it was the Mm -hmm. that sparked the whole harvey weinstein thing yeah um because they did like a a side podcast that was part of it and they also filmed all of those interviews and that's what this hbo series is that's what i was watching when you came Ah. in and you know i just was like well i heard some good things i'll throw you know the first episode on and that's when i was sitting there going Oh, wait, wait, wait. It was on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It feels like it very much was on purpose. There are, they say there are no coincidences in art. I think there are coincidences in art, but this ain't one of them. No. This is not one of them at all. Um, But, but, so yeah, so it, in the future, when they start to talk about the reaction to Harvey Weinstein and the reaction to, uh, me too in not just in Hollywood culture but in Hollywood output mm-hmm. in their films this this film I think should be definitely um, spoken about part of that conversation yeah yes. and unlike with um, promising young woman or or yeah. um, another one forgot about that well I it's, wouldn't it's, know. It's a, it's a fun action film. It's stylish. I think it's better than, and I think it's better than uh, Gunpowder Milkshake. It is. That's that's a, that's a definite. Um, <laughs> Gunpowder, not Gunpowder. Uh, Promising Young Woman. Again, it's it's a feminist revenge story, and it's not a feminist story. Mm-hmm. And you and I have had this discussion before where I've talked about Birds of Prey. In order to have a feminist, a pure feminist story, you need to have equality between the genders. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean the amount of characters who show up. You mean intentional. Are they good people or bad people? Exactly. Birds of Prey is just, people are bad all around. The only good character in it is... No, no, they all have a little bit of good and bad in the women, mm-hmm. but your only two male characters are Black Mask and Victor Zaz, and they're just pieces of shit. True. Uh, when you get over to Promising Young Woman, it it blurs that line a little bit, mm-hmm. because the only man in the entire story who you think is good turns out to be... Yet another piece of shit. Another piece of shit. So again, that's another feminist revenge story. Mm-hmm. Here, you have bad male characters, and you have redeemable and good male characters. So there are shades to everyone in this story. And that's why I say I think Black Widow may be the best one yet. Mm-hmm. And it's because yeah. they 
don't do black and white. Mm -hmm. There are shades of gray in everyone in between. True. Um, And I can definitely see where Birds of Prey falls into like a Me Too film. Yeah. Oh, Um, definitely. But but I don't think it's – I think it's dealing more with escaping a – you know, the process of escaping a personal toxic relationship. Harley has escaped from her incredibly fucking toxic relationship with the Joker. Mm-hmm. And um, technically, Black, Ca- Black Canary is yeah, as well. That's what I was going to say. Black Canary is in the process of escaping her um, very toxic relationship with, with Black Mask. With Black Mask. And so I think it's kind of a more of a personal story in that aspect. Yeah. Than. Black Widow kind of being more of a story about uh, overall institutional abuse. Yeah. And things like that. So they're they're both coming at those, but from very different angles. And they're both coming at those, you know, that the same thing from very different angles and with very different intentions outside of let's explore um, this Me Too idea. And um, we have to throw one last thing out while we're talking about okay. Black Widow. You okay. know who I'm going for. Uh, is this where we turn this into the Florence Pugh fan club podcast? Hey! <laughs> I resent that. She was re- the best part of this movie. You resemble that, I know. Um, yeah, I think that's what you're going for, right? She was wonderful in it. Yeah. She's great. She's funny. Um uh, I'm looking forward to seeing her showing up again in Hawkeye in a couple of months. So am I. Over on Disney+. Plus. Um, and I will there, say prior to this, she had done some great work in Midsommar and Little Women and Lady Macbeth and uh, a few other things. This is a vehicle to make her a megastar. Mm-hmm. And she proves that she's worth it. She's oh, worth yeah. taking that chance on. Yeah. She she holds her own on screen with David Harbour, with Rachel Feist, with Scarlett Johansson. I think I think all their dynamics worked really well mm-hmm. together. Great casting all around on that. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh David Harbour. <laughs> so much fun. His accent got tweaky though in a couple places <laughs> yeah. where I was just like, your Russian's falling away and your American slipping back in. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not as bad as oh say like Kevin Costner's Robin Hood accent, but you know, it, he didn't it have gets one. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even try with him. Yeah, they kinda did. Because I remember at the time going, if they turned this movie into a drinking game, I would die of cirrhosis of the liver. <laughs> It was not good. And that's a movie I only want to go back and say, if somebody could just put up on YouTube the um, all the scenes with the sheriff of Nottingham, and that's it, <laughs> I would I would go back and watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Other yeah. than that, nope. <laughs> no, I'm good. Yeah, I'm definitely not. I'm good. Yeah. And I think we're good with this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we're coming up close on the 130 mark. Uh, so I think, though... That does wrap us up for this week. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com. And we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there. Search and hit subscribe. And if you like what you're listening to, please leave a positive review because that always helps us connect with new listeners. We'll be back next week with more news and a review of, well, something. That's, I know you were supposed to give me that one, and I. Uh... That's another uh, production meeting we're gonna have off the air, though. This time, 
And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. Mr. Fact.